What's going on, Military Cash Flow family? Today, we have a great episode for you. Have you ever thought about being a franchise owner? Have you ever wondered what franchising is and what it looks like if you were to try to do that, right? So today, we have Misty, Eric, and Josh on, and they're from the Happiness Franchise Branch, and they're going to be talking with us about what it looks like to set up a franchise, what you should be what you should be looking for, what makes a good franchise candidate, and then we also spend some time on uh, the transition process, right? If you're transitioning, what does it look like to um, set yourself up for success, not just as a franchise owner, but also to just become in the corporate, uh, to, to get into corporate America in general, right? So, Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this episode. It's going to be awesome. Trust me. What's going on, Military Cashflow family? Today, we got some special guests from the Happy Nest brand. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. I really want to learn about some franchises. So let's kick this off. We'll go... Um, kind of one by one, do just a brief introduction, who you are um, and what you're doing, and then how you got introduced to uh, franchising. So let's start off with Misty. Hey, good morning. It's nice to meet you and it's nice to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. So I am fresh out of the military, retired out of 24 years. Um, This past June 1st was my retirement date. Um, So I wanted to transition into the private sector. I was not very familiar with franchising. Um, I have an HR background, so I was a, I'm a retired CW4, so um, I'm a you know technical expert in the military and all things related to human resources. I did plus myself up like you are. I got my graduate degree, finished my MBA. I used the um, Now Cool program, the certification program. I got my SPHR, got my PMP, did all those great things us military members do to plus up before we you know decide that we're going to retire. So my goal was to get into the private sector. The market was great. Um, and they they are looking for our organization skills, our leadership, our initiative, our drive. Um, so um, as I was applying for that next opportunity, um, I was reached out by a uh, a corporate recruiter um, for Happiness Brands. Um, what attracted me to Happiness Brands was that they were looking for people like us. They were looking for people that are that are team members, that are collaborative, that are have drive, that have initiative. We, they don't need to babysit us. And they're really strategic growth goals that our company is, is uh, doing right now um, in the franchising space. And Eric will talk about that. And Josh is doing that right now. Um, so my experience in the military was novel to them. And they really liked that, that, that uh, pick up and go way that we operate. Um, you know, and they saw the, um, you know, successful metrics. So that's kind of what brought me to happiness. Um, As the director of people and culture, which is what my role is, we were really rolling out our core values. um, And that was one of my my first tasks. So it's really great that we at the headquarters here at Happiness are able to roll out our values, which are the exact same values that we find in all of our franchise owners. And that really makes us a great team. Um, Love it. yeah, so specifically with the world of franchising, what attracted me to it is that my mother and father are both, um, they are both business owners in totally different industries. So I understand the challenge. I understand the risk um, of being an entrepreneur. And I really appreciate Happiness Brands offering the type of support that we offer to make sure that our franchisees are successful. Um And I think the skills in the military that really helped are exactly the drive, the initiative. We have that operations background. And then, you know, they, 
they love it that we have this task oriented background. Like you give me this task, it will get done. Um, and, and I think that's definitely what the entrepreneurs need with the drive and initiative. We own our processes. We own what we do. Um, we literally put our name on it as we're used to it through those years in the military. And uh, that's definitely something that makes us successful. So I'm learning a lot. This has been uh, um, seven months in now, um, learning at, the, at a really high rate of speed. <laughs> Everything is a little bit different, but it's been a very smooth, great transition. Happiness is a very military-friendly company. This is a great opportunity for franchises. And we're really looking out to break into that that um, into the SFL tap and really kind of get a, to be a part of that entrepreneurial track so that we can, you know, really explain the role of franchising and that opportunity for the retiring military members that are ready to work for themselves. Uh, we got so much to dissect there, man. I absolutely love your story. Um, it looks like you took full advantage of everything that the military has to offer. You know, you did the CO before, then you did all the all the schools to to prep yourself for the civilian sector, and now you're you know you're really doing it. What you want, you are literally kind of. It seems like the picture of. Uh, what SFL TAP represents and wants us to do, right? So that's absolutely awesome. We're going to dissect more into your uh, more into your story because I really want to get into it and how that looks, how that transition looked for you. But let's go over to Eric first uh, before we do that. Actually, one quick note. I noticed you said you're HR. I'm a finance guy, so we're kind of like, you know, kind of tied there. So we, we do a lot of stuff together. Tight. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, tight, tight, tight. But um, let's jump over to Eric really quick. Eric, just let us know a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, what you do, and how'd you get into franchising? Yeah, thanks a lot, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity and great job, Misty. Love hearing your background as well. Uh, so my background's a bit different, Dan. I, uh, I'm i not a military guy and uh, I was a uh, student athlete, actually. So out of uh, college, I played football in college and got into grad school and became a graduate assistant coach and kind of followed the trail of coaching for a period of time in my younger days and found out that path wasn't for me. And I ended up coming back to where I'm from, Nebraska, and getting into kind of the corporate world into some sales and into some business development. And then I kind of fell into recruiting in the healthcare industry. So the reason I'm sharing this background a bit is I had some, some athletic, you know, in my background, some skills of coaching. And then I transitioned into the corporate world and started to begin into the recruiting process, which is a very long-term process involving some sales and relationship building. I took a step back and I said, I've got some, some unique skill sets. And I kind of fell into franchising. I've said for years, we don't find franchising, those of us that get into it, whether in corporate or as an owner, it finds us in some way, shape or form. And combination of my skill sets and background and having some connections, I got an opportunity here where I live in Omaha, Nebraska to begin working with a senior home care franchise that gave me an opportunity to step in and help that system grow. So a lot of skills that I learned got a break and got into the world of franchising on the corporate side. And my career kind of went from there. My path aligned with the chairman and founder of Happiness Brands, Scott Frith is his name, about seven, eight years ago. We had gotten to know each other. And roughly about six years ago, Scott reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we've got this great company and Lawn Doctor. It's a brand that's been around for five decades and hundreds of locations. I'd like you to come in and help me continue to grow that but also elevate this new process and strategy with Happy Nest Brands. We're going to develop a multi-brand home services platform company. And literally, Dan, our staff over this last five years or so has doubled in size. We're growing at breakneck speed. And it's been really cool to see Mosquito Hunters. We've got Josh on here today, who's one of our outstanding franchise owners in that brand that came on into the Happiness family of brands in 2018. 
And then we brought on EcoMades into our ecosystem of brands in 2019. And I won't name the name just yet, but most recently we brought on another outstanding home service concept into the happiness portfolio. So my role in the company is to oversee the development, the teams that develop each of these brands and help to take what are typically emerging smaller brands that want to grow and look more like Lawn Doctor someday, use our happiness infrastructure and system to accelerate that growth and provide really what we call unfair advantage to the franchise owners coming into those new emerging systems. They get the resources of a giant franchisor, but they get the luxury of having white space and an opportunity to scale and be kind of first to market and take advantage of those things with their, their business model. So I love franchising. I love what I do. I love working with franchise owners. And we'll be talking more about some of our, our veteran franchise owners and why we're so attracted to those types of individuals to be about a part of our system as well here eventually. But uh, uh, thank you again for having me and excited to, to share some time with everybody. Absolutely. Definitely going to dig uh, dig more into that because I'm really interested in how you guys are uh, maximizing those systems and then pushing those same uh, systems and techniques over into different, um, it, it almost seems like almost kind of vertically integrated companies, right? Because they're all nested within home-based services, but we'll dig into that here in a little bit. Let's let's go over to uh, to Josh really quick. Uh, we are we know a little bit about you already, Josh. We know you're carrying. You might be may or may not be carrying a body in the back, you know. But uh, <laughs> what's what's going on with you, brother? How you doing? Good man. I uh, I'm. If you listen to the other podcast, you know a lot about me already. Um, I own a Mosquito Hunters. I started the Mosquito Hunters down here in Jacksonville, Florida in 2021 was my first year. I'm finishing up my second year. Uh, I retired from the Marine Corps about a year before Misty. So June of uh, 2021. Um, and the gist of it is, is like Eric just said something that I never even thought of about how, you know, you don't really find franchising, franchising finds you. And that's really what happened to me. I had no clue about it, never saw myself as a business owner, didn't have the entrepreneurial mindset. And I felt like you either had to have that or you had to come from money uh, and neither of which I fell in those two buckets. But it found me somehow, I, you know, and I don't close doors on opportunities. I listen to what people have to say and then make uh, an educated decision based off that. And, and I thought, you know, this sounds like something I might want to do. So um, I am a semi-passive owner. Uh, I work full time at another job which I believe is important to talk about because, you know, for some people they're, they're wondering, can they do it? And the answer is, yeah, you can. Um, and especially if you're military, because you're used to working a lot. So, you know, you have the ability to go leave the military or even while you're in the military, um, own a franchise, be somewhat of a semi-passive owner where you just kind of do some stuff at night and in the evenings and on the weekends and own a business that, you know, will allow you to build generational wealth. So uh, uh, just a little bit of background. I was a retired major from the Marine Corps, 24 years of service, um, year two of Mosquito Hunters, doing really well um, and huge fan of happiness, but we can go into more of the reasons why I think so what I will, what I'll say about this is about happiness and we can go dive into it more is um, any, I think military members on average on whole uh, are far more successful a lot of times in franchising for multiple reasons. But if you're going to go into franchising, then I would say happiness brands is the direction you want to go because of what you just talked about with the vertical integration and how everything is set up 
Um, I am very well aware of another franchise that I almost signed with. And I thought that they were awesome until I found out about Mosquito Hunters and Happiness Brands. And now I realize that their marketing isn't as great. Their systems and structures of support is not as great. I would not have known that if I didn't come across Mosquito Hunters and the Happiness Brands. Excellent. Excellent. Um, we're, we're definitely going to dig a little bit more into your story because I know that um, I've gotten a couple of questions on the personal side about franchise and I've directed them to your video. If you guys haven't listened to that episode out there, it's episode 136 with Josh Ambrose and he goes over his whole entire story and how he you know, grew Mosquito Hunters. He started with one area, I believe at, at that time he had two, then one in Jacksonville, one in St. Augustine. And then, I, you know, you're kind of introducing a few other things. So we'd love to hear a catch up from you uh, here in a second. But um, episode 136, Josh Ambrose. So let's let's go ahead and get into it. First off, let's start about just the general concept of franchising, right? What does that look like? Because I know that, you know, there might be a lot of our listeners out there that don't really understand franchises. They think of franchising, they might think of McDonald's, right? McDonald's, you need, I think, a million, like $2 million net worth, and you need like another million dollar, million dollars, like this, you know, uh, kind of liquid cash. And there's all these other crazy things that you need, right? Yeah. But, uh, it seems like you guys might, you guys don't need that, right? So let's start with Eric. Eric, can you kind of give us a general description, an idea of uh, what a franchise is, just a standard definition, and then what it looks like to actually open a franchise and start a franchise? What does that process look like? Yeah, I mean, franchising, that's a great question. Franchising to me is a duplication of systems and best practices. It's a model in and of itself. It's very unique. We're not the boss of an owner. They're not our employee. They're a franchisee. We're a franchisor. What franchising is, is taking a model and qualifying someone, making sure they're in a good position to duplicate and execute your proven system in their respective markets. So as an owner, you're licensing the ability as Josh has to bring mosquito hunters to Jacksonville, train that particular franchise owner to be the expert on the business model, provide ongoing support so they can continue scaling and building out the business, get out in front of challenges. You're working with a collective group of owners across the country. Everyone has similar challenges, issues, and successes. You want to propagate success within a franchise system. So by having resources, coaches, people that are trainers and working day in and day out with you as a franchisee, they too as coaches are leveraging the knowledge and experience of that franchisor to propagate that success. So it's a model in and of itself. Franchisors don't make franchisees great or wildly successful. What franchisors do is provide a proven model that allows a great potential franchisee with skill sets, knowledge, you know, ability to work hard, roll up their sleeves, have grit, determination, all of those things and take that model and make it successful in their area. Without the franchisee, the franchisor can't be successful. Without the franchisor, the franchisee is not going to be in a position of success long-term because there's so many challenges that can crop up that we don't even know about maybe. But you know, as a team, we can figure things out. Knowledge is power. When you have hundreds and hundreds of locations and hundreds and hundreds of people doing the same thing across different markets, it makes everybody more successful and better. And that's really, truly... What franchising is, as a franchisee, you're investing your money, your time into a proven model. And you know, I'm going to make this thing successful with my own skill sets, right? But I'm using this knowledge, power, and this ecosystem. It's going to get me to where I want much more quickly, which is positive cash flow, profitability, because we know where the story goes as a franchisor, right? Even though you're very early and you're beginning training, we know what six months in is going to look like because we've seen it hundreds of times. 
We know what 18 months is going to look like and where you should be at 12 months if you're on track and on plan. And if you're not, that's okay. Let's dig in and figure out why and kind of provide some additional guidance and coaching to you to help you increase your sales or whatever that issue or challenge may be. So training-wise, before we even get into that, researching a franchise, Dan, it takes most people a month, maybe two, maybe three, in some cases a bit more depending on where they're at in life, but researching a brand like Josh did. He took his time. He looked at several different concepts. You have to spend the time up front to figure out, do I fit into this particular model? Do I feel good about this culture? Do I feel good about my potential audience and my customer base? Do I see this as scalable? All of those things have to be determined early. Once you get through that due diligence process and we all collectively feel like it's a good match, that's when the real work begins. And you start to get into pre-training and training and getting ready to launch your business. So most people would tell you that, hey, I started looking at this and I'm in business generally within maybe it's six months, maybe it's nine months. It could be a bit quicker depending on kind of what business model is and time of year, those types of things. But it doesn't take forever. Franchising is built on duplication. So if you can't take a, a good, strong, hardworking person and make them successful and get them onto your program pretty quickly, you're not really a franchise because it's all about taking good people, duplicating and propagating success. And you said duplicating. I want to add on. Go ahead, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. I just want to add on to that real quick. So like to the question of like, what is franchising from like my perspective is two things. One, Eric kind of touched on it. It's a built-in system that I don't have to learn the hard lessons over that other people have had, had to learn. Um, it also, there's value in um, the, our, the way our money is spent because, you know, if I try to spend $5,000 in marketing, that may get me $3,000 worth compared to when I use marketing with the happiness or like the at the franchise level because they can buy down the cost of marketing but also one more thing that's important is let's be real um i'm never going to force myself to spend as much money in marketing as the franchise would force you to and you might take that as a negative way but it's only because you're not familiar with like being a business ownership you'll soon realize that the only way to gain customers is to market so you have to spend a good amount of money on marketing and a lot of business owners when they try to do it on their own they're just not willing to spend as much in marketing as a franchise will require you to but when you're required to spend that i'm growing at such a faster rate than if I would have ever tried to do this on my own. So I just wanted to point those things out as well. No, that's we a great that forcing success, Dan, in the world of franchising. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, I mean, one thing, so for our listeners out there, just understand you guys are getting a, a special treat. So we have, um, we have Eric, Misty, and Josh, right? So we have, you're getting three different perspectives on what franchising looks like from different angles, right? We have Eric, who's kind of got in on the ground floor, it seems like, and he's working at the corporate level and he sees it from the top down. Obviously he understands, you know, from the, uh, from the bottom up as well, but he really sees it from the top down. Then we got Misty who understands like from the hiring and outreach perspective, like, um, and understanding what makes a good franchise owner. Right. But then you also have Josh here who can tell about his perspective, actually being the, the franchise owner. So what you're getting here is kind of, you know, that trifecta of seeing it from every angle and seeing a perspective from every angle. So going along with that, Josh, you definitely brought up a, a great point. And uh, between Josh and Eric kind of showing 
the perspective of what a franchise looks like from your perspective. Let's go with Misty. What does that look like uh, as far as um, what does a good franchise owner, what makes a good franchise owner from what you've seen? Yeah. And I want to, um, you know, I want to touch back on a point too. So the first thing that is going to make a good franchise owner, and this is, this is what Eric and his team really do in qualifying, but they're really looking for a person who is financially sound, who has uh, a, the right drive and initiative and who's going to be able to move through the franchise, um, you know, checklist and set up operations. And the thing that happiness does, the thing that makes us a very strong franchiser and a leader in the industries that we have franchises in is that we have perfected that model. We have excellent support. And that is, you know, what us, what those of us who work at the headquarters really do. And Josh touched on it and Eric, Eric touched on it. So what I would like to bring to veterans that are thinking about franchising is that when you become a franchisee, you're never out on your own. You know, Eric and his team work with you to make sure that you're comfortable with the opportunity. They really explain the ins, the outs, the risks, the what ifs, and really make sure that our franchise candidates are comfortable with that and really have the capital, have the collateral, have the the family um, well wellness balance, you know, to be able to um, to do the work that they know is going to need to be done to start up. But then happiness puts regional business consultants in 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 line with that business model for each franchisee. We have um, individuals at marketing that work with each different franchise owner to get their marketing set up. We have individuals that help the franchisee move through all of the metrics they need to be successful. So when you franchise with happiness, you're never alone. At every point, there is support all the way around you for your business model, for your startup, for we have the franchise business associates that help to really counsel our franchisees um, through their business model and through success. So, you know, if you're if you're worried that you won't succeed as a franchisee, if you're worried that you individually don't have those skills, that's really not something you need to be worried about when you're you know, franchising under the, the happiness model, because that's what makes us successful. So that's really a point I kind of want to bring home. You can do it if you are a good candidate and you have the right drive and initiative. Um, and, and Eric and his team will, will let you know all of the possible, you know, challenges that you will face. We will provide the tools to help you be successful. So it's not, you know, it's scary to think about going out and be an entrepreneur, but when you're doing it under a franchise network, you're doing it with all the support that we have to offer from finance to marketing to, you know, proven franchisee uh, systems that work. So that's why our system will set you up for success. And that's, that's why happiness is so successful, starting with Lawn Doctor and moving into, you know, our Mosquito Hunters and Eco Maids and our other brands. One thing I want, one thing that, um, in my own kind of research, because at one point I, I thought about doing uh, going the franchise route after I, I retired as well. And one thing I stressed, not stressed about, one thing that concerned me was uh, flexibility, right? And, and I know Josh kind of touched on it in his last episode, but I kind of want to get it from, from everyone's perspective here as far as um, how they see, if you're a franchise owner, how much flexibility you have. So uh, Eric, what type of, I guess from the corporate side, what type of things do you do do you do to allow that type of uh, I guess individuality and also flexibility for the fr franchise owners? What does that What does that look like, or how would you describe that? 
flexibility in terms of flexibility with what they can do in their business. Correct. Day in yeah. day out. Correct. Cause I know that you have the system, you guys have the system and everything works perfectly, sure. but how much can I kind of add to that system or, or implement that system my way, if that makes sense. I'll start. And that's a great question, Dan. I think as a franchisee, naturally and inherently, you're looking for a process. You're looking for a path to follow or else you probably really wouldn't be considering franchise owners. I've always said franchising is more entrepreneurial than it is truly entrepreneurial in that you want that model. You want that coaching. You want that path because you don't want to go outside of that box, at least not early. I would con I would consult with any franchisee early, follow the business system that's in front of you to AT. And I can tell you, Josh has done that. Now, Josh has been around for a bit. He's kind of expanded a little bit and he's kind of gone outside a little bit and he can do that because he's been around for a while. He knows the ropes, but early follow the path. But we want to give franchisees flexibility and freedom. No one signs up to be a franchise owner to have a boss. Most people are running away from that. They want that freedom, but we also want that model executed correctly in those earlier stages. I've seen over the years, the biggest challenge or fear of a prospective franchise owner or a prospective business owner is where do I spend my time and where do I spend my money? Those are big, important things in this life. You want those two things to be focused on activities that generate interest and revenue for your business. And that's really what we focus on as a franchise or is giving those newest franchise owners, a really crystal clear path on here is where you spend your time. Here is where you spend your money. Don't veer off this path, at least in those formative stages. And once you get your sea legs and now you're kind of a more experienced veteran owner, now it's time to maybe experiment a little bit and go outside of that box. And we tend to learn things as a franchisor at that point in time. It's a, it's a chain here. We get a lot of great ideas from Josh and other franchise owners throughout happiness, but we don't want to stymie someone or you know, make them feel like they're in this square box. But early, it is important as a, a mm -hmm. franchisee to know this is a path. And as I get more experience, I can kind of maybe start to expand a little bit outside of that and try some new things. Yeah, uh, let, let me add on let, to that real quick too, from my perspective. Uh, sorry, Dan, but, but I, I really think it's important to talk about because, you know, one of the biggest fears I think people get in the franchise is like, I'm going to be controlled. So a few things what I want to say to piggyback off is, Eric mentioned earlier, you don't you don't work for mosquito hunters, eco maids, or whatever you sign for. You are your own business owner. And what I really like, I like to tell people is, I like to remind them, you are a business owner now. Everything rests on your shoulders. It's your business. You're no longer a W two employee, right? So when it comes to flexibility, yes, there is flexibility, but it's also a double edged sword because what does flexibility mean? Does that mean that you just go do anything you want? Well there's a reason that there's a model in place. You're paying for that model to be in place because it's a proven successful model. So I always tell people, follow it as, as much as you can. And let me give an example. So I've got first year franchisees that are my peers last year that they were like, well, should I do a billboard? I want to do a billboard. And the reality is that's a complete waste of money. There are other people in past that have come before you that have tried it and realized that that, that is not a um, good way to spend your money. So can you have flexibility? Yes, but you also get coaching and guidance so that you're not wasting your time and money on things as well. And that seems like that's what the key is. I, that's kind of where I was where I was going with it as far as um, you got you have that. Pre, it seems like you have that proven system. Everything's already there. And then you have countless of people who've come before you that's done the same thing. It's kind of like, you know, Missy with HR. Right. And she said she has an HR background. I know that, you know, um, 
the the AG people, the AG people of the world, if you're you know in the in the military, they have systems and processes, and they have things locked in a certain in a certain uh, area, like that SOP book, right? Those standard operating procedures, right? It's already it's already locked, and that's there for a reason. Why not just go ahead and take advantage of that? Um, I, I definitely definitely appreciate that. So let's let's talk about me, the individual. I am about to retire, and I want to. Um, open a franchise. All right. What are the steps that I take? Like, let's just go, let's just start there. Josh, since you've already done that, right. You've lit, you literally have lived that for our listeners out there who might be considering the same thing. What does that process look like? And, and how, how, from start to finish, how long does it take to actually kind of get it going? I would say step one is to reach out to people, you know, uh, and talk to them to like find out if it's right for you or if you think you can do it, get, you know, get the real deal version, reach out to me, find me on LinkedIn. I'll talk to you about it all day long. Um, and then once you start to talk to people, we're like, okay, I think I might be able to do this. Then what you do is, is we get you or somebody gets you in touch with the franchise. Uh, and what that does is they've got franchise developers that essentially walk you through everything to start telling you more about it. They start putting you in touch with other franchisees that you can talk to, to understand from their perspective, because you really, like Eric said, you, you need to talk to multiple franchisees across multiple franchises and industries to figure out first, figure out your industry you want to be in, then figure out which franchise you would want to be in. So industry first, then the franchise. And that's when you start to see the differences between the different franchises. Once you do that, you got to figure out your funding, whether that's SBA loan or you're going to do a ROBS, a rollover for business startup and take 401k money uh, into start funding your business. Um, and then, you know, once you get it, find a way to get it funded, you sign the contract, you go through training uh, and you start operating and you start making it happen. That literally is, it could be as short as three months, probably. It could be as long as probably six to seven months, but Eric could probably know better on timing. Uh, I'm just a very aggressive person. So for me, it, you know, I, I'm working like a business owner, an SBA at the same time I'm doing my validation calls to figure out and, and making it all happen as quickly as possible. That's awesome. Uh, love the the one minute overview of everything. One thing you, you mentioned there that I, I've never actually heard of, and and I'm sure our listeners might, may have not heard that either, or even thought about that as a funding source is the ROBS. So the rollover. Uh, for business startup. For business startup. That's actually, can you, and you can do that with TSP as well? Uh, yeah, because you you essentially can take your 401k TSP or funds and you form your business as a C corporation, essentially where you have uh, stocks and you're basically taking your TSP, whatever 401k stocks, and you're putting it over into now your business. And that's how you fund your business. So it's not a loan. You're saying you're saying dive into that a little bit, dissect that a little bit, because that, yeah, that's actually a you're very taking you can fund your franchise with your TSP. What, I mean, this is most of our military. So let's talk TSP. You can fund your franchise with your TSP by forming a C corporation. And there's a, I mean, I mentioned this on the last book, you know, um, there was a tax-free wealth book, but there's also a book in that same series about um, what type of corporation to, to form as. And I highly recommend people do a little bit more digging about that. But what you do is you form a C corporation and, I, and that will cause you to have stocks and dividends or stocks, I mean, and then you're essentially transferring your TSP money. The reason you're doing it is because there's no penalty. 
So you're not penalized for taking it out of the TSP and putting it into your own personal. You're putting it into another company's 401k. It just so happened that it's your company. Yeah, we're, I'm going to have to dig into that and uh, we're going to have to make a video of that or something like that. that that's extremely Yeah, we can have another we can have another that. talk about that for sure. Yeah, for if sure. If you want to, to go in more detail. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So for, for the listeners out there, hey, you got the one the one minute play on exactly what it looks like to uh to kind of set up. Let's go into Eric. Eric, you, you said you can kind of give some uh, I guess a little bit more detail on the timeline and then maybe a few other uh, pieces of information there as well for, for the setup. Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to kind of dovetail off of Josh here a little bit. I'll keep it high level to start. I, I look at it, it, whoever might be listening to this and, and at this stage, maybe just in the earlier stages of considering business ownership, that's where it truly starts is a spark. You know, somebody, a family member, you've seen somebody start a franchise, You've read a little bit about it in a magazine for entrepreneurs. You've got the edge. That's where it truly begins. And, you know, in, in some state, in some cases, it could be from that point, six months where you're going to start something. In other cases, it could be six years. Timing is everything. And everybody's timing is a little bit different. But once somebody makes it to that point of saying, hey, I want to do this. This is my next step. I'm transitioning out of something, whether it's military or something else, and into kind of this world of entrepreneurship, where it begins for me, I think is number one, you start to look at the investment ranges. There are thousands of concepts. There's probably 4,000 or so franchise concepts in the US spanning a hundred different industries. So you have to kind of begin with, what am I comfortable with in terms of an investment? That's number one. Number two, people are looking at attributes. They're, they're scoring things. They're creating a matrix of some type and saying, what do I want? Do, do I want recurring revenue? Or do I want a transactional business? Do I want a, a mobile business or do I want bricks and mortar? Do I want something that's a little more storefront or do I want to be kind of the, the face and generate relationships in the community? And is this a trend? Is this a fad? There, there's different things that we look at in our heads and we're kind of process of elimination, right? So you start with what, do, what can I invest? What am I comfortable with? Number two, what are the attributes I'm looking for in a business? And then you're going to find yourself into categories. Typically, if you're looking at a lower investment and something that's recurring and involves the owner but doesn't involve bricks and mortar, you're probably going to find yourself looking at home services, which is what Happiness Brands is in. And then from there, it's what's the owner's role? What do I do? What do I want to do? Do I want to be out knocking on doors every day and hard selling or do I want to be a little more consultative? Do I want to build a team to do the work for me and manage that team and be working on the business eventually like a Josh is currently with no coming in. I'm going to be working in it for a while to get this thing spun up. Everything begins somewhere. But what's that role look like now and going forward in my business from there? What's the health of this franchisor I'm looking at? I've kind of found my investment. I like the attributes I'm looking at here. I feel good about this owner's role within this model. Now, what is the track record of this system? Have owners been successful consistently within this brand and in this concept and in the role I'm looking to take on? And then finally, you land on the widget. It's the last thing. People always start shopping like a consumer. They, I, I love those ice cream sandwiches or I love that, you know, that service I get there. I'm going to buy one. That's the wrong place to start. You got to start at the top and kind of understand the inner workings of the model, the role, the investment. And then the widget, I say this respectfully, Dan, it doesn't truly matter. When you start thinking about it, it's a, a widget. It's a service. And in our case, we know consistently for decades, people buy home services. And we can talk about that here in a little bit if you would like. But once you kind of figure that out in the match, if you will, that's where really people start to, to move forward. But I would say, as I said earlier, 
for most, in terms of researching a franchise, people are going to spend anywhere from 60 to maybe 90 days. Once they've made it to that point, we've talked about earlier, of this is what I, I really want to do. Yeah, I really appreciate you breaking that down, especially um, not thinking so much, not being so much widget focused or the object that you're selling focused, but also, uh, but more so internal, like what do I actually want to be doing with my time? How do I, how do I want to do it? And then also looking at the external of the franchise itself, what is the success rate? You know, what are they doing? What is the probability that they're going to, you know, what's the health of the franchise, right? I really, really, uh, uh, appreciate that breakdown. So for anybody out there that's really thinking about what they want to do, those are some some great questions to actually ask yourself uh, before taking that next step. Um, so I want to talk to Misty for a little bit because um, you just lived the situation that um, every service member is going to go through at some point, right? Uh, you just got out right. and, and now you're working in the corporate sector. And I think for most, I'd say about half of uh, our, our military members, you know, they, they're in regardless of how long it is, but at some point they want to go and work in the corporate environment. Can you kind of talk us through that transition and what that looked like for you personally? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I knew when I hit 20 years, so I retired at 24. So I knew when I hit 20 years that it was time to make sure that I had all of the professional, um, you know, professional certification and degrees that I wanted to have to be qualified for my next job completed. So um, what I would say to um, service members that are kind of in that like 17 plus year um, time frame that, you know, finish your advanced degrees. The Army has all kinds of benefits right now. We need to be utilizing them, especially that certification program. So I was one of the first to apply to AG School to do the uh, SPHR, which is the Senior Professional um, in Human Resources. It, it was uh, paid by the Army completely free. They paid for the materials. They paid for the testing. All you got to do is pass. So if you have the initiative and drive, you can do it. I did the same with the um, PMP program that was through the certification program. So um, the first thing to think of is you need to start building yourself up to what you want to be at the time when you're applying for jobs. So, you know, I started with certifications um, that helped me bridge the gap between the experience that I didn't have in the private sector, you know, so I was doing HR with the military with regulations, um, you know, and I was doing a lot of compliance models that were already in place. But we have SOPs, we have procedures, there is no casualty management when you're in private sector, you know, we don't have MWR, we don't have, you know, the bean counting, you know, there are some things that are the same, but there are so much that are different. I didn't know how I was going to come in to the experience level, even in my trade in the private sector. So, um, what I did was plus myself up. Um, after you get your professional certifications, you need to take some time with LinkedIn. Um, so that's the next thing. You need to start before you exit the service, getting those recommendations, which you can get in LinkedIn, building yourself up, building your skills, getting people to endorse this and that on your profile. Um, you need to use that as the initial template of your resume. You need to start to look at your qualifications and write them down in a qualitative, quantitative way. That's what we fail to do when we get our evaluations. Um, you need to start now really filling out your support forms for your evaluations with qualitative data. If you're getting evaluations that say you're the best, you're awesome, 
That is not legit. When you get into the private sector, you need to have improved something by a certain percent, saved a certain dollar amount of money, you know, uh, made something more efficient and be able to have the specifics on that. So while you're in now, your support form needs to be qualitative and quantitative, and it needs to prove that you're successful in your field to show private sector employers that you're applying to and that corporate world that you can succeed in that corporate world. You don't have the big army umbrella overwatching you. You you can fail in the army and you will be given another assignment. If you fail in the corporate world, you will be fired. So you need to be able to prove that you can succeed in a, you know, in that no fail environment that that the uh, corporate arena provides. So LinkedIn is next. Um, start to build what you do. Then you got to civilianize what you do, which takes a whole nother time. You need to get in there and look at jobs that you think you're qualified for. Start looking at what they're looking for. Look at your experience. Change the language to match. Okay. So in the, for example, in the HR world, I don't in process. I onboard. So you need to start to understand and make your resume match the jobs that you're applying for, which takes time. That resume, the, the looking at the time, starting with the arts transcript, starting with your professional education, getting it on paper, getting it in LinkedIn so you can start to get endorsed is, is huge. And then you start looking. Um, so there are, you know, SFL Tab offers really great resources on resume building. Um, they offer um, that the book that they give you is really good on, on how to do that. And, you know, and there's tons of services. Um, uh, I would say if you're a true professional, you can have your resume done for you. I did my own, but I did it in that manner and that made me successful. Um, and I will say not all of us come in like directors like I did. I was very fortunate to leave the military at a senior level and be able to get a director position. And the reason I was able to do that, which I mean, I see colonels get out all the time and they're they're directors and they want that big money. But you know what they failed to do was be recent and relevant in their jobs. You know, they 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 are no longer the doers, they're the directors. And when you're in the corporate world, if you're a director, you're a doer. So your resume needs to reflect what you are doing. You can't just sit in that strategic space and be planning. You have to be able to show that you're a doer, you're a producer, you um, have the metrics to prove it. And I think that's a fail point for our senior um, military members that are retiring that you need to be cognizant of. You need to show that that you're a, you're able to be a doer. Um, and you have to be willing to work. And I'm telling you, that's, you know, you know, we work hard in the military, but we get all those federal holidays. We get, you know, that time off, you know, you can, you cannot be at the top of your game and you will get pushed through the system. And I will tell you in the corporate world, it is not that way. You need to be the tip of the spear, as we would say in the military. And you know, those people that'll be successful. And if that's what you are, when you get out, you will be, you'll be a hundred percent successful, but you got to start, like I said, at that, like three years out, building yourself to show the private sector what you have to offer uh, that was that was you just definitely dropped some gems right there that was absolutely awesome um I, I love that you know that's one of the things i like about talking to people that just recently are, are going through it because you can kind of identify some of those some of those things that are current in the noun right mm -hmm. uh for example you you just mentioned uh some of the differences between the civilian and the military oftentimes we talk about transferable skills right and you were you were uh, HR or even those high-ranking individuals that operate in the strategic level on the strategic level assume that hey I work this job I'm a, I'm I'm a kind of a high rank here or kind of a big deal in the military right but then I got to go into the civilian sector and they think the same thing hey this is going to translate and correlate over perfectly where I'm going to be nope. kind of a big deal in the corporate space as well can you talk about some of those different both you and Josh because both both you guys are kind of in in that 
in that new space. But uh, can you talk about that a little bit about that that transition and um, having to actually work hard? You know what I mean? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, Missy started on it. Like, you know, I know I also know colonels that I've gotten out and struggled to find jobs as well. And I, you know, like Missy, I like to say a minimum of two years. A minimum of two years is when your transition process needs to start because, and I second and third, everything she says about LinkedIn, I'm a huge proponent of LinkedIn because the reality is LinkedIn is 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 the base for how you're probably going to get a job. It's your base for how you're going to do informational interviews and make contacts with people. And what I will also say is you need to get your LinkedIn profile set up because once people start looking at it, when you start reaching out to them and you start making connections, that's probably the last time they're going to look at your profile. So it's your first and last impression. So start working on your LinkedIn profile now. Don't act like it's a Facebook page. You know, don't be afraid to connect with people that you don't really know. It's completely different. You need to, your mentality about LinkedIn needs to be different. But, you know, the reality is, is that it doesn't matter what you get out of. No one, you can be a colonel, you can be a general. For the most part, you're, an, unless you're a general officer, you are not getting out and, and overseeing a lot of things you're doing now. So um, if you don't, like, for example, like, I'm, I'm analyzing data. I'm making PowerPoints and all this stuff. Like I wasn't really doing, I was leading, you know, when I got as a major, you need to be willing to do that. A lot of people think they're going to laterally chance over and you got to ask yourself if, do you think that you would allow a business person to come directly into our position? It's the same thing. You're not going to get out of the kernel and do kernel level things as a senior director or, you know, um, in the civilian world. So you have to, you have to just know mentally you're going to drop down a little bit. doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to like move in, but like, if you think I'm going laterally, the likelihood of that is very slim. You know, Missy was probably the exception to it, but uh, I mean, I work full-time at bank of America. I'm came in as a, as an AVP assistant vice president. I'm not coming in as a director or managing director. And another thing that's important to consider is, do you want to lead people? I love leading people for a long time. Um, I needed a break. I needed to be, and there was this concept that I didn't know about until later. It's called an individual contributor. And, and once I found about, you know, there are a lot of roles as an individual contributor. And I said to myself, I need that for a little while. I need a breather from lead, like leading. Um, and then I'll get back into leading people later on. And I want to dovetail on that. So I want to say, um, as Josh said, it, it is an absolute exception. And Dan, I would be willing to talk to you at any time about how, um, people that are retiring can set themselves up to, to get that position that they want. But it is, it's expectation management, um, exactly just like Josh says. I will tell you, I interviewed colonels while I was still in for those post, you know, federal positions, worst interviewers ever, because they have that attainment. They, they're like, I'm there, I'm there. I, they have that pride at that level. And you have to get back to that private mentality. What Josh had said, which was a really good point is you should expectation, your, your expectation should be, especially if you're a very senior military member that you're gonna come in you know, lower than what you're at. First of all, by income, for sure. I will tell you, if you're not familiar with the taxes and how you were going to be hit with taxes, that is the first pain that you're going to feel because you know we are pretty protected in taxes. So another part of that is you need to understand what taxes are going to be like, you know, make right. sure you factor that. That's a whole separate finance thing. You know, Dan, you're a finance guy, but you need to understand what taxes are going to be like for you. And you need to manage that for the income that you need to make. So, you know, that's a whole nother probably, you know, podcast, but that's something to be aware of. But yes, you should expectation manage down. However, my caveat to that would is 
if you properly prepare and properly execute, then you can get right into the role that you want, but you have to have plussed yourself up. And, you know, this is where, you know, you want to use all those military um, benefits that we have with the certifications, which is going to bridge that gap between what we don't do in the civilian sector. And I, I see a lot, a lot more military members doing that, getting those advanced degrees. I mean, our resumes, when you, you'll, if you're going through SFL TAP, when you look at our resumes and you start looking left and right at, at um, transitioning members' resumes, you'll see now that they're impressive. We are impressive. So when we get out there, we should be a cut above our peers. What they have that we don't have is knowledge in the field, in the private sector industry. And I will tell you, that is a very difficult hurdle to overcome. So that's where it gets to being a doer, being qualitative, quantitative. And I, I volunteered. So I had a project manager certification. It wasn't my field. I volunteer as a project manager with a veteran service organization. That counts too. So if you have a certification, if you can volunteer and maybe have an elected position as a director or community leader in a, in a service organization on the not-for-profit side or as a, as a volunteer, that counts too. So that's another thing to look at as far as building up your resume and being able to show that you can be successful because, you know, that time counts towards your expertise as well and all that experience. And practice interviewing. When's the mm -hmm. last time us that have transitioned have practice interviewing? And there's a, I think I talked about this, Dan, Candorful, C-A-N-D-O-R-F-U-L is a nonprofit organization out there that will let you do practice interviews with real inter people that do interviews for a living out there because man it had been 24 years since i had done an interview and I, it prepared me for when i did real interviews excellent man hey see so you, you guys just literally dropped a bunch of gems for our listeners out there especially uh that are that are transitioning so i really appreciate that and you know you kind of gave me an idea i might have to bring on like a few different other guests who've transitioned and to bring you all together and then have a have a uh, conversation about that for best practices and things like that. Cause I, I think that's truly, truly, truly valuable. Uh, and you guys oh, kind yeah. of already mentioned it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of us out there that are prepping, right. It's starting to become apparent that, Hey, this is, these are some of the things that you need to do. Right. But there's still some that are not, you know, ready, especially um, to be frank, you know, at the senior level, like you know, I, I just made major two. Right. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of my peers that I talk to that um, that aren't prepping for that, right? Um, you know, I have one last question for for both of you, really quick. How early is too early in your in your um, perspective or your from your opinion as far as prepping for uh, the civilian sector? If that's something you want to do, like how early is too early? It's never too early to prep. It's too early to start looking at specific jobs. You know, you're not going to want to start looking at specific jobs. You want to look at types of roles and maybe you want to look at like organizations that you can start targeting, but a specific job, you don't want to start doing that until you're like three months out because that, that job's gone and you're not going to get hired anyway. Yeah, and I would agree. I would say um, six months out, your LinkedIn needs to be, you know, and I'm saying six months from transition date, not six months from your actual, you know, retirement date. Um, you need to have your LinkedIn, your resume good to go. What I would encourage you to do is apply for jobs. You're not going to get them. 
but you get through the interview process, start to understand what it feels like before it counts. So you need to plan for that. So early apply for stuff and get through the process just to get the feel for what an interview looks like, what feedback you're getting. Um, I will tell you, even with an exceptionally qualified resume, I was, you know, not selected for a bunch of things. And, you know, some of it was my presentation, how I answered questions, um, getting through the initial qualification process um, to, to know what companies are looking for. And, and you know what, you can't, you can't take that to heart. You know, you can't let that, you know, bring you down. What you have to do is learn from it. What probably did I do? And, and I will tell you on the, on the side of, you know, an employer, because now I'm on the other side looking for talent all the time. Sometimes there's something most of the time that that employer is looking for. You just don't have it. You know, like, for example, if you're in the military and you need somebody to operate the system and they have to have a security clearance, you could get a great candidate. But if they don't have a security clearance, it's going to take up to a year. It's a useless candidate. You can't use them. And so sometimes there's a qualification like that, like they need somebody to start now and you just aren't available. So sometimes if you're not getting the job, it has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with the unique requirement they need, like a specific experience on a specific database, and they need it now and you don't have it. So you can't take it to heart if you're not selected. But I would encourage you uh, six months from transition, start applying, start gathering that feedback, start figuring out what's successful, what's not successful. What kind of jobs are you getting callbacks on? What kind of jobs are you not getting callbacks on? And that will help you tailor your resume. For me, I had to figure it out. I started kind of going a little bit low because that's where I thought I should be. And it just, my resume was kind of too high with leadership. So then when I came back to more to managerial roles, I actually had a lot more success. So when you get out there and apply, you start to understand where you fall and then you start understanding what jobs you can apply for. So um, I would give you that advice. Um, and as far as actually applying for jobs, I wouldn't say any earlier than four months out because by the time you get through there, there, there's multiple layers of interviews, be ready for rounds. Be ready for round one, round two, round three. That's the interview world. So it's not going to be one interview and you get the job. Be ready for three or four rounds of interviews. Be ready for the yep. first one to be a screening call. You don't have to be, you know, that's just a screening call. Don't get super excited. You know, um, after you get through the screening call and you start talking to people from the company, that's when it's real. Um, know your technical acumen, know your systems, um, have your qualitative, quantitative um, information there. Most companies have resources you can look up before you even interview with them. Know your interviewer, get on their LinkedIn, find out who they are, yep. find out what their background is. So do your homework there. Um, but four months out, I would say, because they're, if you do get through the process, they're going to want you to start now. And if you're still, you know, in the period of time to where you're not available a couple months, you may, you may, you know, not get the position because you're not available now. So you get in, you get, uh, you get what you put in. If you want to wait to the last minute to try to start getting prepared for transition, you're going to get that level of transferring out. Now that that's a great uh great way to to synopsize everything for the for the most part, right? You're gonna get in what you put out, right? So um absolutely love that. You you guys really just dropped a lot of gems for um those are, that are kind of about to go through that transition, or at least everybody knows we're gonna go through that at some point, right? So uh, I think that's one of the things that uh kind of one of the most daunting things that that transition um from something comfortable into the unknown. And what Misty and Josh pretty much just gave you is, uh, is kind of the blueprint and, and should should really set you up for success if you're, you're kind of taking some of the, those uh, key pieces of advice. Um, so we've talked about, you know, what franchises are. You guys have seen the perspective from three different sides, um, from three different sides of what the franchise looks like or setting it up uh, looks like. 
what makes a good candidate, um, what the franchise are looking for, some of the pros of franchise. And then we kind of wrapped it up uh, with like, hey, you actually prepping, getting yourself prepared to transition over into the civilian sector to potentially become a franchise owner, right? Um, what it What is like one piece, if you could give just one key piece of advice to uh, anybody that is looking to become a franchise owner at some point, right? What would that piece of advice be? Don't close the door on an opportunity. Be curious, ask. Or if somebody reaches out to you to talk to you about it, just listen. You close the door, you'll never know what it's like on the other side of the door. Excellent. Eric, what do you got? That's great advice, Josh. I like that. I think I like to be curious. I think you keep an open mind. You never know when you're going to stumble onto an opportunity that can change your life, but buy into the process. If you start researching a franchise, buy into the process and see it through. Uh, I see too many people take the exit ramp too quickly. You, you really have to spend some time. As I said earlier, it, it takes a couple of months on average for people to figure out if there's a good mutual fit. Come into the process with that mindset, buy into it, explore it, be curious, and you never know. It could change your life. You're, you're right, man. Um, Eric, I, you definitely give off a lot of football coach vibes, man. You got the the one headset right, the headset right there with the little speaker and the jacket on and everything. It's just a side note, but great, great, uh, great information. I'm just observing some. Things. I'm gonna start calling Eric Coach from now on. I know, All right? right? Like seriously, does, does he not look like an NFL coach? You look like, and then and then you speak the way you speak and the way you you know articulate and move and everything like that. You give off really coach vibes. It's awesome. That's that's great stuff. Um, I'm just. You know, if you're listening out on podcast, definitely look at it on YouTube and you'll see what we're talking about. So we're just having a good time here. Um, Misty, how about you? What's that one piece of advice for you? Yeah, I would say do your uh, self-assessment, you know, understand your risk tolerance, understand um, what it is that you're looking for. And I think uh, when we transition, it's it's huge. It seems so big and it really is. You've done something for, you know, quarter of a century, you, you know, for most of us, and you're transitioning to something else. So, um, you know, you have to do a lot of introspective work to figure out what is it that you really want to do? This is your next life. This is your next career. What do you want to do? Because you've been doing what somebody told you to do for years. So I would say, you know, um, you know, I, I tracked PMP, I tracked, you know, for project management, I tracked HR, you know, maybe explore other things you know, explore other talents. This is your next career. It should be something that you enjoy doing. So, you know, know, know what that is coming to the table. And if, you know, being an entrepreneur fits your your risk tolerance and you're a good candidate for that, um, you know, I think that's going to offer you the flexibility that a lot of veterans are looking for, you know, that are looking for, you know, working for themselves. And, uh, you know, like Eric and his team and um, individuals that have done that with that experience, like Josh, are really helpful, you know, from happiness to to be able to, you know, fill in those gaps of information to, to you know, help um, retirees determine if that's going to be a good fit for them. But yeah, know yourself, know what you want, spend some time with yourself to figure that out. And, and so that you're not blindly just accepting anything, which I think is what we do. We start applying for everything, you know, and then, and then you start getting disappointed when you don't get those opportunities. Um, this is the time to hone in and figure out what it is you want to do in your next life. Hey, you said something twice, very important there. This is your next life. Um, I, I think that um, a lot of us transitioning or a lot of, you know, service members that are transitioning don't really view it that way. We're just like, hey, I got to find another way to make money or to supplement my income so that I can continue living the standard of living that I'm, you know, I've done right now. So taking that time out to really, uh, I guess, 
look inward with what you want, what you want to do. I think that's extremely important. It seems like a common theme from all of your, um, from every key piece of advice that you gave was be open and um, explore all, all opportunities, right? Um, and I think that's very, very uh, important. So if you're listening out there, please, um, you're going through the transition period, even before the transition period, you can still be thinking about some of those things. What do you really want to be doing? This is your next life, right? So um, I think this is a great conversation. Uh, we'll definitely have to get back together and, and, and have some more. I had a great time. I hope you guys did too. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your your uh, perspective and, uh, you know, letting us know about happy happiness brands and um, all the things that they offer as well. Um, again, I, I appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, had a great time, man. All right. Excellent. And uh, with that said, this is Dan Wynn signing off. <laughs>